This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Nathan Heffel. Now, the Denver Broncos are among the elite when it comes to Super Bowl appearances. This Sunday marks their eighth appearance. That's the most. It's a four-way tie with New England, Pittsburgh, and Dallas. Yet in terms of Super Bowl wins, the Broncos are not so elite. The team has won the big game just twice back in the late 1990s. As Super Bowl 50 approaches, we turn to an unlikely sports expert, Denver librarian Brian Trembath, to tell us how the Broncos went from the Siberia of football to become at one point America's team. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having me on. So you recently dug into the Denver Public Library's archives and found some interesting Broncos history. What compelled you to do this? Well, you know, I was actually looking for uh, for something else, and uh, I ran across this article that described Denver as uh, professional football Siberia. Okay. And uh, I thought it was intriguing, and I looked into it a little bit and found it was kind of a fun story. So, so the Broncos began playing in Denver in the early 60s, and most people wouldn't recognize them based on what they were wearing. What did they wear on the field? Correct. Their, their first season, 1960, they were uh, in... In the, the upstart uh, American Football League, which was a competition to the uh, Amer- to the NFL, and uh, they were very low rent, um, and they owned they got these uniforms that were uh, brown and yellow with vertical brown and yellow socks um, that were used. Oh, uh, of course, they wear orange jerseys and blue helmets now. Uh, what happened to those old uniforms? Correct. Well, the, the old uniforms um, that that were purchased from somewhere in Arizona um, from some sort of uh, college team or semi pro team. Um, were actually burned in, in a bonfire oh. uh, at uh, at what was then Bears Stadium and then became Mile High Stadium. So they were almost secondhand uh, uniforms. Correct. Yeah, they they were. Um, I've seen a couple different references as to where they came from. Some say they came from a uh, defunct college team. Some from a semi-pro team. All seem to point towards Arizona. They were described by all as being torn and with holes in them. And those were the days long before Sports Authority Field at Mile High near downtown Denver where the games are played. Now, where did the Broncos play before that? You said Brown? Uh, uh, Bears, Bears, Bears Stadium, Stadium yeah. which uh, which was built in 1948. It was owned by the Housen family. Remember, the Denver Bears were uh, really big in uh, Denver. They were a minor league team. And that stadium eventually became Mile High Stadium when the NFL and AFL merged in the uh, mid, mid-late mid 60s. And when and you were mentioning in 67, the team wanted to build its own stadium, right? Correct. As part of the merger agreement, they, they had to have a stadium that seated at least 50,000 people. Okay. Bears Stadium only seated about 35. So they wanted to build a new stadium. They asked the taxpayers for about $25 million to do that. And they wanted to build it out by Stapleton. Okay. And so what happened along with that? I continued it. Uh, the, uh, the voters said no by about a two-to-one margin. Huh. Um, so not, not the football team that was well-liked back then, apparently. No. It, you know, they were, they were pretty under the radar um, at that time. But, you know, they, they were growing in popularity. But the, the, um, the, the way it was presented to the voters uh, was not particularly clear. And I think a lot of people probably thought, well, we have a good stadium now. And they eventually did. And as you write in a blog post for the library's website, Denver was once professional football's Siberia. Who said that about Denver? Correct. Uh, he was he was a co- longtime columnist for the L.A. Herald Examiner named Melvin Derschlag. Okay. And, uh, you know, he was having some fun at Denver's expense um, because of the, the stadium because they were very much in danger of, of moving away. Um, not, not the first time they were in danger of moving away. But... Uh, and he had some fun with that. And I have a quote that he's, yeah. he said, if you want. He said, uh, the town must watch out lest it backslide into the spot occupied for years by Philadelphia. Denver will know that it has had it when nightclub comics start babbling that the prize in their contest is one week in 
Denver, and second prize is two weeks. And I love that the columnist also suggested that some football team owners didn't want to bring their teams to Denver. Despite that, the city was, quote, a good town with clean air, broad streets, and a healthy attitude on nudity. What? <laughs> yeah, that that was an odd one. And it, and it took me a while. And actually yesterday when I was, I was kind of looking over some microfilm for, for preparing for this, um, I ran into there was a city ordinance that was passed right around that time um, banning um, – topless women in Denver. And I'm guessing that's what he was referring to. So eventually, a group of fans uh, raised nearly $2 million to make improvements to Bears Baseball Stadium, which was renamed Mile High Stadium. By 1977, the Broncos made it to their first Super Bowl. Correct. This is a few years before quarterback John Elway joins the team. Uh, the coach is a guy named Red Miller. You'll hear him mentioned in the Super Bowl twelve banter between announcers Tom Brookshire and Pat Summerall. And Brookshire is holding up one of those brown uh, and yellow socks. Nice. It was a bad-looking sock. They were a bad-looking team. And... Red Miller and company have come a long way in 17 years. They really have. And by the way, as the game progresses, you might notice that some of the Broncos have on a sock just like that in tribute to their long, long time fans. Uh, the Broncos lost that game to the Dallas Cowboys, one of the many Super Bowl losses uh, to come. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's it's pretty it's funny in that they, they're always that's that's the second place team. And right. uh, you, you kind of get slagged for being the second place. But. It is a as if you've been here, you know it's an incredible disappointment for the city to lose the Super Bowl, and it, it does stick with you. Yeah, and definitely one 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 of one more to come. Um, we're going to take a little break here, uh, but when we return, we'll get uh, Homer Simpson's take on the Denver Broncos and recall the time Muhammad Ali actually got into a fight with one of the Broncos. Absolutely. Uh, I'm Nathan Hevel. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. You're back with Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Nathan Heffel. Come on, Broncos. Recycle this high. Let's get this defense and attack some guys. You'll make them boys if they get no sass. Do a damn good team with a lot of class. Here's the Broncos. Broncos. If you're out of the outside, I'll get on over now. And we're talking the Broncos today with Brian Trembath of the Denver Public Library. Brian, there have been some odd moments uh, in, in the history of the Broncos. One of the fans, the barrel man who wore a barrel held up by suspenders to games, there's a rumor that he didn't wear anything under uh, his barrel. Of course, that's now in display at the History Colorado Center in Denver. Then there was one of the defensive players in the 70s, uh, Lyle Elzado. Elzado. Elzado, known for being really tough, and he got into a boxing match with Muhammad Ali. Correct. Uh, Lyle Elzado, a classic 1970s NFL tough guy. Yeah. Uh, played with the Broncos from 71 to 78. And uh, had a background as an amateur boxer. He was a Golden Gloves boxer. He'd won 44 fights. And uh, he was at kind of a crossroads in his career, deciding whether he wanted to be in boxing or football and uh, and challenged uh, Muhammad Ali. So he had a background in this. And so how did that uh, play out? Give me a little bit of a description of what happened. Well, so it was J- July 14th, 1979, a very hot day at Mile High Stadium. They said about 20,000 people were there, but... Probably not, if you look at the <laughs> the video, for an exhibition match, which was not going to be scored, um, and Alzado versus Ali. 
And so were they both really into it or was this kind of like, oh, we're just going to throw some punches around and, and see what happens? Well, Alzado was definitely into it. And okay. if you watch the fight, the first couple rounds, he sort of surprises Ali by coming out quite strong. And Ali is – he's ready to have some fun. Um, and eventually he, he kicks up his game. But at one point, Alzado, and you can see it in the fight, says, you know, fight me. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he was in it. So who actually won this match? Well, it, it, it wasn't scored, but the announcers said that uh, that Ali would have won overall. It was an eight-round match, um, but they, they gave the second round to Alzado, who he, he really showed up for, the, for that one. And they said one round would have been a draw. And definitely an exciting match to watch. Of course, the Broncos are off an exciting team to watch on the field. Uh, but even after John Elway joined in the early 1980s, uh, he takes them to three more Super Bowls, uh, and they lose them all. Uh, tell me a little about about John Elway and, and his uh, addition to the team. Well, jo- John Elway it ca- came to Denver in '83, and remember, he was he was possibly going to go play uh, professional baseball. Mm-hmm. He was originally drafted by the Indian by the Colts, but he did not want to go there, and he said quite quite firmly he wouldn't. He would just go play uh, play uh, baseball if that was the case. And at the time, uh, Terry Bradshaw said uh, he was not the kind of guy you would win a championship with if, if he was going to be like that. <laughs> but, and so he came to Denver. He did. As part of a trade, uh, the Colts got um, three guys you've never heard of and will never heard of. And the Broncos got, um, you know, the Duke of Denver. <laughs> and it began. And it began. Absolutely. Uh, now, we have to mention, you know, one of the worst uh, Super Bowls was Super Bowl Twenty Four. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers scored 55 points. The Broncos scored just 10. Uh, the Simpsons cartoon couldn't help picking on Denver. In one episode, Homer Simpson dreams of becoming quarterback John Elway. Elway takes the snap and runs it in for a touchdown. That's Elway's patented last-second magic. The final score of Super Bowl 30. Denver 7, San Francisco 56. Woohoo! <laughs> And there's another Simpson episode where Homer inherits the team, and they're in his front yard bumbling around, footballs bouncing off of their helmets, and Homer's bummed out about it. But then John Elway leads the team to two more Super Bowls in 1998 and 1999. What did that do for Denver? Correct. Super Bowl 32 and 33, um, you know, it, it definitely elevated their, their reputation and kind of helped get that stink off them. And for yeah. Elway, what, what a way to end up his career, you know. Not just getting the Super Bowl, but doing it back to back. And they won. Significant. They won. They they did. They did in a in a major way. And he you know he really put himself on the line in that famous helicopter spin, and that that right. definitely motivates the troops, if you will. And so Elway retires after winning that second Super Bowl. As that game won down, announcers John Madden and Pat Summerall speak about what Elway will probably miss the most about the game. Well, what he's going to miss is he's going to miss the competition. He's going to yes. miss playing the game. When you play at the level that John Elway plays, there's not a lot of people in this world that know that level. And not a lot of people know the feeling that the Denver Broncos have at this moment. So what did it feel like for you? I mean, you of course, you lived here in Denver. You were watching John Elway. You were watching the good times and the bad times. As a historian, were you thinking as an impact of, of what this had for, for this guy playing on this team? Uh, for for Elway or for the city? Uh, for for the city, I think. Well, for the city, it's such a great relief to to get, like I said, get that that stink off them and really have this mm. sort of primal release, you know? Right. And uh, 
and know that that they've really been elevated up to that level. They're not second place anymore. I, I've heard from many people. Again, I wasn't in in Colorado at the time, but but people remember where they were when the Broncos won. Do you remember where you were during those pivotal points? Oh, ab- ab- absolutely. Um, you know, I was I was at a house party for that one, and uh, and you know, we immediately shot off to champagne and <laughs> kisses all around, and uh, a lot of fun went downtown and. And just whooped it up pretty good. So when Denver wasn't doing so well, uh, was there definitely a feeling that there, the, the country was kind of uh, you know putting Denver down a bit and, and really taking taking that to heart? Did the city really take that to heart? Well, I you know I don't know if the, the city did, but it, it's tough as as a fan or or anybody to to see you know something that you're so passionate about get beat down, especially after you know, they made it to the Super Bowl. Right. (laughs) Let's take another break. Uh, But when we return, we'll look forward to what the Broncos face in the Super Bowl on Sunday. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. And you're back with Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Nathan Heffel. I'm talking with Denver Public Library Special Collections Librarian Brian Trembath about the Broncos. Uh, Brian, over the years, there are a lot of big names that have come and gone. Just to name a few, there's Terrell Davis, the running back who was named the most valuable player in one of the Broncos' Super Bowl wins. There's tight end Shannon Sharp, linebacker Carl uh, Mecklenburg. There's the Orange Crush defense. The list goes on. Uh, in 2014, this team was once called the Siberia of football, and then it becomes America's team. How did that happen? Well, there's this uh, CBS sports poll that they do that they try they gauge America's team by popularity. Okay. And that year, the Broncos uh, jumped ahead of the perennial America's team, Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys, yeah. And is that still the case now? No, no. They went. Uh, they've dropped down a few notches, and uh, Dallas is back to being uh, America's team. According to CBS Sports. <laughs> for, for now, right. For yeah. now. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite Broncos moment that we haven't touched on yet? Um, you know, we, we, we were talking about this a little bit. Um, one of the things that I love the way Denver just rallies around this team. And uh, if you go to King Supers or one of the grocery stores on game day and you see the oceans of jerseys and the people who are just so clearly in love with this team. And uh, it, it it's a really nice feeling. It's, it's a really cool thing. And I really like that about the Denver Broncos. I, I think it's also the fact you see it on, on, on buildings, you see it on posters, you see it everywhere, the fact that, that people are really revved up for the game. Uh, do you think that's all over the country, where, where if you, depending on the team going to the Super Bowl, or is there something special about the Broncos? Um, you know, De- Denver fans, Denver has sold out every single game um, since since the NFL-AFL merger, including the uh, strike games when there were replacement players. Denver right. was the only city to sell out those games as well. Um, it's a pretty passionate crowd. There's... There's other great fan bases, but Denver's in the elite for sure. And I know there's always a lot of superstitions that go around uh, football wearing certain things. Uh, the Broncos decided to wear white to the Super Bowl Sunday instead of their home color orange. Why was that? Correct. Well, they, they switch off between the AFC and the NFC, uh, which team gets to choose the uniform. And the AFC chooses in even years. 
The Broncos are 0-4 in the Super Bowl when wearing orange, 1-1 in white, and uh, 1-0 in blue. So they elected to wear white jerseys this year. And the Broncos are the AFC. Correct. Right. Correct. A- any other su- uh, superstitions that you have or you know of other superstitions that maybe the Broncos have had in the past? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't believe in superstition uh, at all, but I am known to wave my uh, Mile High Magic washcloth to just uh, kind of let off some steam during Good. the games. There you go. And why white again? Why is that color white? Is it, why did they choose that? Um, well, you know, they, they just got to choose. Um, okay. And I, like I say, I think there's a fair amount of superstition. Um, but in fairness, the uh, 10 of the last Super Bowls have been won by the team wearing white. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, John Elway is now the general manager of the Broncos looking for another Super Bowl win. And the Broncos have another great quarterback uh, in Peyton Manning, who has, uh, is, has set so many records. There are rumors that he might retire. Um, he has set uh, numerous records, like I said, over the years. What has it meant to have uh, uh, him on the team? Well, he's he's such an elite player, definitely one of the best to ever play the game, and a very classy guy. Um, when you have a John Elway in your organization, you can attract you know elite players like that. So, and to have an Elway and a Manning long term, that's great for the team and their reputation and the city. And and two years ago, Manning was playing when the Broncos were beat badly in uh, Super Bowl Forty Eight by the Seattle Seahawks. I, I know this goes beyond your pay grade as a librarian, <laughs> <laughs> but but how do you think the Broncos will do Sunday against the Carolina Panthers? Uh, I I think they're going to win outright. It's going to be a very close game. We have two great defenses. Uh, Denver's offense has been not putting up huge numbers this year, but that defense has kept them in games. It's going to be Denver by three. And and where are you going to be uh, during the game at a party? Um, no, I'm, you know, I'm going to be at home with my uh, wife and kids, and uh, I, I will be yelling a lot. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, Brian Trembath is a public library uh, librarian with the Denver Public Library Special Collections uh, at the Denver Public Library. Up next, a discussion about Broncos owner Pat Bolin. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. It's Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Nathan Heffel. Pat Bolin won't be attending the Super Bowl on Sunday, but he'll be foremost in the minds of many players and fans. Bolin is one of the best-known owners in sports, though he's no longer involved in the team's day-to-day operations. In 2014, the Broncos confirmed rumors that Bolin has Alzheimer's and announced he would step down. Former quarterback and current Broncos executive John Elway got choked up at the press conference. Having worked for him for 30 years, it's... uh going to be very hard to not see him walk through those front doors every day. John Lynch also played for Bolin on defense for four years and calls Bolin the ultimate owner. He talked with CPR's Ryan Warner by phone in October just before Bolin was inducted into the Broncos Hall of Fame, Ring of Fame rather. Lynch explained what makes Bolin different from other executives and owners he's played for. I think most of all, being around him, there was never any doubt as to what his intention was, and that was to win a world championship. Uh, So many other places, they pay lip service to that, but it's not reflected in their actions, where they're putting their resources, where they're putting their focus. Everybody always says it starts from the top on down, and Mr. B, as we affectionately know him as, he's the one who set that culture. Well, it's interesting because you say other executives, other owners pay lip service to winning, but 
he really put the, I think you used the word, resources behind it. What was proof to you that Pat Bolin wasn't just bloviating, but really meant to win? What, what was a decision he made, uh, financial or otherwise? Well, I, you know, I think one, and it was difficult for everyone involved, and I think nobody more than Pat, probably when he fired Mike Shanahan, a coach that had won two Super Bowls for him that he was very close with personally, and there was a business side of that, and that Mike was making a lot of money and had his had a contract for many more years, but he felt like it wasn't going in the right direction, and so he was ready to eat that. And I think to a lot of people that were close to him, that certainly, uh, again, emphasized just how much that was the sole purpose. You know, the other thing that strikes me is that he was around the facility, so we saw him on a regular basis. But he let people do their jobs, and I knew it was a special place when I got there, and I meet employee after employee who had been there 25 years. It was because people didn't want to leave because it was such a fun place to work, and he took such great care, and he was so loyal to the people that were good to him. You knew him from the ski hills. You'd met at Beaver Creek, and after you'd signed on, he called you into his office and had something to say about those ski, <laughs> ski trips. That wasn't a good day. You know, I had played for Tampa for 11 years, and uh, probably at about year seven, uh, we were at a New Year's party one night, and someone introduced me to Mr. Boland, and uh, we ended up having a great time. Talked about our love of skiing, our love of family, our love of football, the NFL, all these things that we had so much in common. And, you know, about that point, I thought I'd always play in Tampa. I was kind of an idealist, and I thought I'd play my whole career in in Tampa. Uh, I ended up in, after year 11 becoming a free agent and uh, Denver quickly rose to the top of my list because of the respect I had for Mr. Boland, the organization he had. Long story short, I ended up signing there and he waited till I signed the papers and I got a call to Mr. Boland's office. So I went upstairs and he said, uh, we're going to do wonderful things. We're going to win a championship, but we got to talk about one more thing. And I said, okay. And he says, you know, I've really enjoyed seeing you and your family up at Beaver Creek but we got one problem. And I said, what's that, Mr. Paul? And he says, we don't ski as members of the Denver Broncos. And I said, oh, and you waited for me to sign first before you told me that. He said, <laughs> he said of course we did. So I tease him now that I just ended up skiing in Montana instead. With the <laughs> idea that Colorado. <laughs> the idea that skiing is, you know, so risk-prone, injury-prone, that it's just not a smart idea to do as a football player? Well, he, he had had other athletes... Um, you know, hurt themselves in charity events and whatnot. He said that wasn't always a policy, but he learned the hard way. I mean, it's interesting to talk about his concern about your being injured, because, of course, the sport of football also has its fair share of injuries, which have been getting a lot of press lately. Did he ever talk to you about concussions and, uh, you know, long-term memory or things like that? No, you know, we never discussed that. Um, You know, I played 04, and so you're talking 15 uh, some 15 years ago, you know, 04 to 07. And even from 07 to now, the entire culture, the mindset has changed so much in that. I mean, it used to be something that really, frankly, wasn't a big deal. You know, it was used to call it getting your bell rung, not getting concussed. And I was very fortunate. I didn't have many concussions. I feel great today. Um, perhaps Boland's most famous comment came when he handed John Elway the Super Bowl trophy after the the team's first win in 98. He could have talked about building the team or how much it meant to him to finally, you know, win. Instead, he said, this one's for John, as in John Elway. Is it normal for an owner to get so invested in his players 
on a personal basis like that? I don't think it is, but I also think that's what makes him special. And I think in large part he was saying that this one goes to the players in the locker room. Not just John, but John obviously had meant so much to that organization. And it looked like at one point he wasn't going to ever get to experience the thrill of winning a championship. And, you know, it's, I, I think, kind of ironic and fitting that, you know, when times had fallen on hard times for the Denver Broncos, it was John Elway again at Poland, too, because he knew that he had the same goals as he did. I think what is so particularly painful about Alzheimer's is watching someone that was very sharp decline. Is that something that you have witnessed with Pat Bolin? It is, and it's tremendously sad. And uh, someone who had always been as active and uh, had a zest for life as him, and someone who's meant so much to Denver and, and the state of Colorado, really. John Lynch played for the Denver Broncos for four seasons. He spoke with Ryan Warner last year. Thanks for listening to our Broncos chat today on Colorado Matters. And thanks to Matt Hers, Michael Hughes, Kareem Maddox, Sam Brash, and our news director, Sadie Babbitts. All of the rare Broncos songs you've been hearing today come via longtime record collector and radio host Lisa Wheeler. You can find out more about her collections and show at northofpueblo.com. Of course, connect with us on Facebook, CPR News, or follow us on Twitter at Colorado Matters. Colorado Matters is also a podcast. You can subscribe by clicking Colorado Matters at the top of CPRnews.org, then subscribe to podcast in the audio player. I'm Nathan Hevel. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News.